Fresh water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. God's going down. God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It's October. Clemson's 5-0. and Papa John's is America's leading cause of diabetes, and life is good. That's right. This is your host, Nick Tully, back after a five-week hiatus. I'm joined here today by Ben. And Ben, I just got to say, it's nice to be back here on the podcast. Bonjour, Nick. Welcome back. How was uh, watching college football in France? Uh, it was pretty awful. Having to tune into the Auburn game. Kickoff was, I believe, at 3 a.m. Um, did you actually make it through all of it? I did. I watched the whole game. Um, I watched most of the Troy game, too. Um, both of those were pretty tense. What time was that one? That, that was a little earlier. Yeah, it was a noon game local, so 6 p.m. kickoff in France, which was pretty tolerable. But um, Well, you know what they say, when in France, watch college football. Exactly. Um, no, it was, it was great to be able to keep up, watch the Tigers over there. Thankfully, I was able to get on like a hacky Wi-Fi VPN connection um, and still keep up with it. So, so not only were we jealous of you for spending like three or four weeks in France or however long it was, but then you come back, and before you get back out here to San Francisco, you go to the Georgia Tech game, you saw that one in Atlanta, Yep. and you make it to the Louisville game. Yeah, um, good to be able to string, string this trip together, um, go see some family, and then catch the Tigers play live, a couple of games, a couple of, couple of Ws, so... Um, good stuff. So what was it like? Tell me what was it like to be in that stadium for the Louisville game? I mean, that must have been amazing. I mean, first you started off in Atlanta, us having not won there since 2003, so that's a big win. Yep. And then heading into the Louisville game, that's a lot of good momentum, the way we handled Georgia Tech. We had, you know, a little bit of extra time to practice, which I really think helped pay it off, uh, helped pay off. Um, but the atmosphere from from where we were watching the game even as loud as the bar was, like you could hear the crowd noise. You can almost feel the crowd noise. What was it like to experience that? I was there back during the Miami game, whenever that was, 2006 or something like right. that. The overtime game. The overtime yep. game, where at that point we broke the, the decibel record. But yeah. it sounded much louder than that. I mean, I, I myself had been to a few really loud games. The ones that stick out in my mind, I was at the 07 Boston College game that we unfortunately lost. That was like, you know, stuck in my mind as a super loud game. But I and mean, this is this was actually on another level. And when they ran down the hill, just it just from the start, it was really electric in the stadium. Um, and you know, really overall um, throughout the game, it, I felt like even you know when there were moments where in the third quarter we didn't really have much going on, it, there was still a lot of energy in, in in the stadium happening. And you know, you all saw it, and um, we've read about it, the impact that the the noise had on Louisville especially early on with those two false start penalties. I think their fans game. were complaining about how loud it was. They thought it was too loud in our stadium. Well, sorry. I mean, you know, it's have, football. Have fun on your welcome, way back to Kentucky. Welcome yeah, exactly. to playing in real games and real atmospheres. I know you you were previously in the, the Big East and Conference, Conference USA. USA. Yeah, it's um, not quite the same atmosphere in those, yeah. in those venues, I imagine. But, you know, welcome to the ACC. I mean, to their credit, Louisville played a phenomenal game. They're a very good football team. Both teams had errors. Um, yep. You know, on, on both sides of the ball. But listen, what a fantastic, what a great win for Clemson. Uh, you know, forty-two to thirty-six victory. The back and forth, the going up there, uh, big at halftime, just to see it all implode in the third quarter. But 
you know, this was a huge game. The, the right to the ACC Atlantic was on the line, especially with, F, with FSU losing earlier in the day. That that meant there was something for Louisville to lose. It really became the de facto Atlantic championship, if you will. I mean, Clemson at this point having won would now need to you know, go around and, and lose two games to bring Louisville back into it um, or Florida State if we were to lose to them. So, I mean, yeah, it, that just raised the stakes for this game. And I got to say, I mean, it was some of the energy that you saw through the fourth quarter and some of the kind of urgency in the, in the, the rooting and cheering of the fans and even the play of the athletes, um, I think, you know, a lot of that, the jubilance from winning that we're feeling, 50% of it's relief and 50% of it is realizing, like, how awesome it was to overcome that. Um, yeah, it totally kind of erases the pain. I think you mentioned that Boston College game where, uh, who was it, Aaron Kelly? Yep. They dropped the pass that could have sent us to our first uh, ACC championship game. This was huge. No, I mean, going into the day, even if FSU hadn't lost, Clemson stood to pretty much be out of it had they lost to Louisville because Louisville's not going to lose uh, right. two more games on their AC schedule for the rest of the year. But with FSU losing, that really put the impetus on Louisville because they no longer had the safety net of, okay, we lose to Clemson, they could lose to FSU, and then we have the three-way tie scenario. And us not knowing what the metric is to determine that, Louisville's been a lot more impressive in their wins this year than Clemson has. So, yeah, just just huge win. The crowd was amazing. Kudos to you, Tully. And, you know, you're yelling at everybody who went to that game. Uh, I, I love when Clemson is showcased on ESPN from game day uh, early in the morning with Sloppy Body Guy and uh, <laughs> that, uh, just seeing the sea of orange and the fans, and they're still showcasing the uh, the ride in the bus around the stadium to the top of the hill. I'm glad that it's played down a little bit now. It's not as theatrical as it, as it was uh, in that season yeah. where we played Georgia to lead off and then FSU. But uh, I'll say a couple more things about being there. Um, Cody asked me earlier today, and he's not able to join us today. I think he's a little bit under the weather. Um, unfortunately, but he asked me, he was like, you know, how's this one compare to some past games? And, you know, he threw out Notre Dame last year, which I also attended, which was a great experience. Um, this one a little drier. <laughs> fairly, yeah, fairly, uh, just could not have been more different weather-wise. Perfect night, perfect game day atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I think the weather played a big role just on kind of put a damper, if you will, on, no pun intended, on uh, just the noise level and the energy of the fan base. And even the game itself played out, you know, in a lot of ways differently. In some other ways, you know, in that game, we, we jumped out to an early first half lead going into halftime and squandered some of that in the second half, but under completely different reasons and contexts. I think, you know, that one, that victory was a little more relief. I think this one was a little more, um, you know, realization of the importance of this win. That game didn't really have conference implications. Notre Dame's not yet a part of the ACC. As we just talked about, this was an Atlantic win for us. Uh, so certainly that win and the you know some of the past you know big games at Clemson, I feel like those fans that were at the Florida State game last year probably had a similar feeling. Like that we we got over the hump, we beat the Knolls, uh, we basically took took a stranglehold of the Atlantic, which we've done here um, with this Louisville win. So it was awesome. Um, some highlight moments that really stood out to me as just you know I'll never forget um, the Jordan Leggett touchdown. Uh, he went in, I think, from about 40 yards out. It just felt like, I mean, the stadium kind of screeched to a halt, and it seemed like Louisville players were stuck in the mud, um, and Leggett was just cutting through, um, making his way to the end zone. That was amazing. The Artavis Scott run back just re-energized the crowd, brought us back into it. I think at that moment, I was like, 
yes, this comeback can happen. We can we can get this done. And that was a, a huge uh, turning point in the game. Louisville having gone up on eight by us after us being up for for majority of the game uh, after you know early in the second quarter, and for Artavis Scott to do that. Uh, really lit a fire under the team, lit a fire under the crowd, and they never looked back. Yeah, it was great. Um, I mean, you know, I will say also on the other side, true exasperation and almost acceptance watching Lamar Jackson do his thing too. Um, I won't say seeing him live is more impressive than what you see on TV um, with camera angles, and ESPN had something like 50 cameras in the stadium. Um, and from, from the replay footage I saw, um, rewatched the first half of the game, he looked, you know, every bit as exciting as I saw in person. Um, but, you know, f- for the defense to stymie their comeback on that last drive also, you know, never forget that sequence of events and the fourth, fourth down stop. And this is not the first time, uh, you know, the Clemson team has done this in, the, in recent memory. You know, they did it against Louisville last year. They did it against Notre Dame. Uh, right there at the end of the game. So, unfortunately, this is kind of the norm, letting teams <laughs> hang in it and not really driving a nail in the coffin, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, at the end of the day, a win's a win, and Clemson is 5-0 and and is sitting in the driver's seat in the Atlantic Division. So, you know, kudos to the team. Um, so, Tully, you were lucky enough to get a ticket to that game. A lot of people maybe missed out. Um, if you are looking for a ticket week to week, check out Tiger Net's uh, ticket exchange. Go on there. It's a good resource. At least you know then you're buying from the Clemson community. So check them out. You know, Tickets may uh, become harder to get as we get further into the season. We see what the ceiling of this team is and we're right back in the thick of things. We're ranked number three in the country. Uh, squarely in line. Clear path for the college football playoff. So check out Tiger Net if you're looking for tickets. And then also to keep Constantly updated. Again, if you don't have a lot of time during the day to check TigerNet or go online, sign up for their email alerts and or their daily digests. Uh, you can either do that in your account settings page if you're logged in. If you don't have an account or don't want an account, just put your email in the little box in the upper right-hand corner of any news story or update, and they'll keep you informed. So, Tully, kind of going back into it, I think the narrative for me going into this game was – how would Clemson respond, especially now with the target on their back? And it was kind of interesting. The line flipped leading up into the game. Louisville was actually favorite, but come on. We all, to me, Clemson was favorite in this game. And had Clemson lost, especially if Clemson had a big loss like they did to FSU in 2014, it would have been a huge regression for this team. A clo- 2013. Uh, correct. Uh, it would have been a huge regression for this team. A, a close loss to Louisville in this game, and then I just think it's a loss to a really good team with quite possibly the best player in the country. But a big loss would have been completely different. So I think a lot was riding on this outside of the Atlantic Division uh, aspirations, ACC Championship game aspirations. Well, it's kind of, kind of strange. You mentioned how the line flipped and Louisville was favored. I think what we're seeing in terms of not only how they were treated coming off this loss by AP voters – um, they stayed. They stayed put, really, in the the top five. Right? Yeah, they only dropped. A, well, no, they dropped a seven in oh, the right. AP and eight in the coaches, but still a lot of other good teams around them. And for them yeah. not to fall any further than that, so they stayed put there. And then, in terms of just you know, Kirk Herbstreit and a lot of other people, Danny Cannell, I think, have Louisville in their top four, top five. Herbstreit um, had him at four. Going into the playoff, kind of, you know, we're still a month away from the the committee's first uh, released rankings. So anyway, in the hearts and minds of kind of the college football media, if you will, um, they're very much the darling still. And we saw a little bit of this a year ago with Notre Dame, where 
you know, throughout the course of the year after that game, um, they were there was always kind of an asterisk put on their loss to Clemson. Well, oh, they, they lost that one, but it was in, in a rainy atmosphere. It was during a hurricane. And I feel like with this one, you know, Louisville lost, but, you know, it was a really close game to Clemson, a really close loss. What I'm getting at here is I don't know that we would have been extended that same courtesy um, had we lost a close one to Louisville. Well, more is expected of us, I think, having played in the national championship game last year. And this has been something that's been building over time. And, again, it's part of that narrative of how will Clemson respond? Will they live up to expectations? And, you know, it came really close to that not happening, especially choking away a 28-10 to 10 lead. I mean, that was huge. Had we yeah. lost this game, and I think it would have deservedly so, there had been a bigger spotlight and more scrutiny on this Clemson team in a loss happening like that. Right. That, I, yeah, that I with, also think it's some carryover from the, the way the team has played in the first four weeks of the season coming into this one. Um, you know, I've heard you guys do do the, po- the podcast, some of your commentary I, I agree with. Um, you know, didn't didn't look like the defending runner-up, didn't necessarily put together some of the best performances. I think part of the re- reality of that was, you know, get the wins, you know, treat these games sort of as a preseason coming into the real meat of our conference schedule. Um, but ultimately I think some of those kind of close calls against Troy, um, the Auburn, you know, in light of that, you look at the Auburn game and then not necessarily putting Georgia tech away. I think though, you know, that helps paint a narrative if you want to make that, that, you know, that angle or have that take that maybe Clemson isn't all that. And we probably would have dropped much further. Than Louisville. Well, this is, this season is starting off very eerily similar to last year. And Cody has made this point multiple times is that Clemson did some things uncharacteristic of national championship caliber teams last year. You know, they failed to put teams away. They lot, they played a lot of inferior teams close. We had a lot of turnovers. Guess what? Same thing's happening this year. But at the end of the day, we still go out there and beat Louisville. And, you know, if our offense plays a little bit better at times, limits the turnovers, we beat them pretty bad because that defense was out there on the field a lot. And you saw what they were capable of there in the first half when they were a little bit more rested. They really did a damn good job of containing Lamar Jackson. And if the offense extends them that courtesy the entire game and is able to hold on the ball and not go three and out in key situations, then I think that defense does play um, even better than they did in the second half. So, I mean, if we're still shaking off the rust and polishing up and and we're still able to win a game like this, it's still looking good. Now, I I don't think we can win at all playing like this. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is um, I agree with you. And look, to beat a Louisville team, a team that looked this good, and they, they looked really good on Saturday as well, to do that not playing our best four quarters of football, on the one hand, gives you confidence that it, you know, should Clemson be able to put it together down the stretch, you know, we're going to get some some guys back from injury on defense. Uh, I don't necessarily know that we needed it. I mean, they're, they've been able to... Well, Austin Bryan would have helped in this game just to spell sure. some guys. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's going to add depth and be able to spell guys and, you know, get some rest where it's needed. Um, so that's going to be a shot in the arm for this team. But having said that, I mean, is this kind of the new normal or is this, is this what this team's identity is? You mentioned it a year ago, you know, we, we let we teams stayed in games and, um, you know, a little bit concerned. I'm not super worried about this happening, but down the stretch, you know, coming into the playing a coastal champion, should we hang on in the Atlantic? You know, let's say it's UNC this year. Maybe they've taken a step forward on defense they don't seem to have missed a step too much on offense either. That could be a tough game. You know, maybe they're not as complete a team as Louisville was, 
but that'll be at a neutral site. We won't have the benefit of you know, 80, 84,000 screaming fans. Well, and not even looking that far ahead, I think even looking ahead to Friday to Boston College and see how this team responds after such an emotional victory, like their head needs to be in the right place. And this is something you can point out on this team that's been uh, a trend over the past two seasons is, is this inability to really have this killer instinct and close out some games. So what Dabo and the coaching staff has done a very good job. They have done a very good job at finding the weak points because, listen, every elite team still is going to have to have things they need to improve on. So they've done a good job at finding the weak points and making adjustments and fixing it. Now, some of this has to do with you know lack of focus in, in just these young players on the team. you got to remember, we're not out there with a bunch of seniors anymore. Like, right. There's a lot of young guys playing. And you know the drop passes, we did see improvement on that. Mm-hmm. In the Louisville game, I, I'm yeah. not sure that I can remember a drop pass in that game, a true drop pass that, that definitely should have been caught, uh, except for the interceptions, like the interception to Ray Ray where it bounced off of him. He should have caught that ball. Right. Uh, Jordan Leggett getting stripped there, Deshaun Watson losing the ball once and had a few other interceptions. Those are some uncharacteristic things. It's about focus and poise, and that's what this team needs to polish up on because, again, if we don't have those errors in this game, we go on to steamroll Louisville. I mean, you, you brought up a couple of good points. I think in general, with the quote-unquote shaky, slow start to the season, as a fan, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, raising the red alert on that. I think, you know, I don't want to characterize those games as things that the team didn't see as meaningful. Um, and they've clearly risen to the challenge in the toughest game of the year. Um, but anyway, I, I think they got done what they needed to get done in those games. You know, you saw the first half of the Georgia Tech game. I mean, I think that is the identity of this team, the second quarter of Louisville. But I think against much tougher competition, you know, some of the mental mistakes and errors can't come back to haunt you. Against Alabama. Against Alabama, you know, Ohio State, name your opponent. Even a resurgent North Carolina team, or let's say Miami gets through the Coastal, um, they look pretty good. So anyway, I mean, you know, I think we've we've made our point here. But um, I do want to talk about a little bit about Deshaun Watson and some of his mistakes. Um, Phenomenal stats in terms of the superlatives. Um, Not only that, I think we all know, we've seen it multiple times in the past, he really rises to the moment, rises to the occasion. Um, You know, to throw some cliches out there, like when the chips are down, I think we can trust Deshaun Watson to find the plays that need to be made to to win a game, to come back. You know, we were down eight points. We put together 14 consecutive points and held. Um, you know, largely on the strength of hit some of some elite passes from Deshaun Watson, and it's but, it's it's head scratching. Um, mm-hmm. Though the other moments where he's overthrowing yeah, t- balls or having bad interceptions, you know, it's said a lot about defenses that they're a bend but don't break defense. We almost have a bend but don't break offense. Like we'll just play bad enough to keep the other team in the game, but then we need to put the dagger in you at the end. We will. Right, and you know it. Again, it's worked. It's been, you know, we're, we now have the country's longest home winning streak. Um, outside of championship games, I think um, Tim Barrett, the wonderful um, sports information director at Clemson, um, had an awesome tweet about the many streaks that Clemson's now running on. Um, you guys should check that out. But basically, I mean, it's working. That being said, it's not good for our blood pressure uh, as fans. Or the coaches, I don't think. I <laughs> right. mean, and it's amazing, too. I mean, Tim Barrett does such a great job, but he and Dabo must have a pregame conference every time because Dabo is the first one 
to run off those stats at the end of the game. He's like, we got the longest, nation's longest win streak, 19-0. Yeah. yeah, Tim Barrett's in his ear. Right. Like, feeding Dabo his one-liners. Maybe Tim Barrett is the, the source of all these uh, slogans that we've come out with. But Well, let me ask you, I mean, so Deshaun Watson this year is a little bit of an enigma. He's clearly a leader. He's shown flashes of brilliance, and we know he's clutch. And I think he's, he's you know regained our confidence um, with this play in the Louisville game and then I would say in the Georgia Tech game too, um, to say nothing for South Carolina State. That being said, we've seen some errors that could well have cost us the game against Georgia Tech. What do you think is happening here? What do, you, do, you, do you think there's anything? I mean, and some of this does relate to mechanics of, um, you know, is it something in his passing? Is it decision-making? Is it's, it pressure? The, the touch on the ball and the pinpoint accuracy is not there right now. And again, we'll take it back to last year when he was shaking off the rust at the beginning of the season, and we attributed that to the fact that he was coming off an injury. He didn't play in the spring. He just came back during fall camp. This year leading into the season, we were expecting a lot more because he did have all that time to prepare in the offseason. And you know what? We're just not seeing that yet. So you know what? Maybe he's a slow starter. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's just who he is, and he's going to get out of this out of this funk, and I call it a funk. He's still playing amazing, right. but he is overthrowing some balls. He's underthrowing some balls. The first interception to to Mike Williams, he threw it a little bit behind him uh, there in the end zone, and you know a few of his other interceptions are just some head scratchers. Uh, his deep ball is not there again. Overthrowing some guys, even the even the pass to Deion Kane for the touchdown looked like it might be a little bit uh, a little bit short. So. Still those things to polish up on. It was really great to see him get a- active in the running game. He had right. almost 100 yards rushing in this one, and that was a big part of getting this offense going. Him and Wayne Gallman retor- returning to form was, you know, as we said going into the game, this, the running game and the offensive line is going to have to dominate to really help Clemson's offense click on all cylinders. And when it got going, it got going. Wayne Gallman was running early, uh, hard early on, hitting the holes, and then Watson was supplementing that with his legs. I read Quacken Tiger's uh, you know game recap, his review. He thought there might be some issues with him not stepping into all of his passes as much, um, and not quite as sure what's going on on some of the underthrows or the lack of accuracy. Uh, but it is something. I mean, you know, maybe it is taking some time to. It's not really not about knocking off rust, but just get into the groove. I think also what you saw in the Alabama game, even the Oklahoma game a bit, and here in Louisville. In these high-pressure situations and games, it has proven to take a couple of series for him to get going. I don't say that as a point of criticism. Um, I think it's just a reality of what we've seen, and I don't necessarily know that that's something you can expect to work on unless you're in those situations more and more. But I mean, we're going to see him. The kid's lost two games in his college football career, so and one of them he played. It was Louisville, yeah. Where he's well, no, one of them was yeah, it was a Louisville game. He got hurt. Yeah, no, sorry, it was the Georgia Tech game. He got hurt. In 2014, we're 3-0 against Louisville. Right, okay. He broke um, his finger in the Louisville game, came back. Right. But you're right, it was Georgia Tech, and Cole Stout came in and threw a bunch of interceptions. Anyway, you're right. He's, he's winning. He's a winner. We're not questioning that. Um, but anyway, I think, you know... But it's like, we said about the, film. it's like we said about the team. You know, even elite teams, even elite players always need something to get better at. And, you know, we can all point to that right now i mean the 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 evidence is there we're seeing the balls be overthrown but you know what in crunch time where it matters he's stepping up and making the plays so again i'm not trying to complain about a win here by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) it's just and i'm trying to 
I constantly go through this, and I ask myself, "Is like Deshaun Watson? Is he playing bad? I'm like, do I remember what bad quarterback play looks like? Apparently not." The sport and being a fan of this team, especially, is you know you kind of have recency. You definitely have recency bias. It's easy to forget. You know, you kind of get amnesia about um, some of the realities that we put up with as fans. You know, even as early as 2014, two years ago, when Deshaun went down and. Um, Cole Stout was playing somewhat injured himself and you know we had a dominant defense and we weren't getting anywhere near this amount of offensive production and here we are kind of you know questioning why we can't put four to four quarters together of dominant football I, meanwhile we're scoring 42 points you know the run game got going so I, I think this was a you know I think it's a in, very good off- offensive game for Clemson. Yeah, I think I'm in denial a little bit part of me is probably just hoping Watson plays just bad enough to come back and play again next year that is, of course, not the case. Right. But. Unlikely. Um, maybe to p- stick with the quarterbacks, but pivot slightly. Um, a lot of people felt like coming into this week, you know, Deshaun was not really on anybody's Heisman ballot or Heisman radar, um, whereas Lamar Jackson came in, came out of September, you know, pretty much the, the shoe-in favorite, um, similar to how Leonard Fournette was a year ago. Um, but I think this game, you know, getting the win, comeback drive, um, you know, Five touchdowns, was it, for Deshaun? Um, essentially, in over 300 yards passing, um, that put him squarely back in the consideration in the conversation. That being said, I mean, Heisman is an individual trophy. Deshaun commented on it. That's not really a goal of his. A championship is a goal of his. Um, and, you know, you could say Lamar Jackson, he's still probably squarely the favorite. I think he is in Vegas. Um, he did nothing on Saturday to, you know, discourage that. Um, but I think if, you know, Clemson, we don't have a Heisman Trophy winner, Deshaun's probably our best shot. Uh, we're hopeful he can, he can continue to improve and show that he's, he's worthy. But again, I think voters, in order to, you know, vote him the Heisman, are going to want to see many more elite plays like we saw down the stretch. Like that pass to Deion Kane in the fourth quarter, um, you know, setting up a touchdown was an unbelievable pass. And that is what I think NFL scouts are going to look at that will probably push him to the number one pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in my mind, Deshaun Watson, is his NFL future is clearly better than Lamar Jackson at quarterback. As far as their play goes this year, I still have, for me, Lamar Jackson is, I think he's the front runner for the Heisman. But behind him and Deshaun Watson, there's not a lot of other people. Leonard Fournette is really trailed off. He's yeah. He was injured, didn't play this weekend. JT Barrett at Ohio State he's, is going to be up he's, there. Yeah, he's getting a little um, a little props, but Christian McCaffrey's fallen off. Right. Uh, the odds came out today had Lamar Jackson at 5-2 to two odds and Deshaun Watson right behind him at 5-1, to one, and there wasn't a lot of other people that were too close to that. So I think it is going to come down to be a battle between those two. I think we're going to see Deshaun Watson continue to play better like he did last year. And the advantage that he has, we're going to be on a bigger stage from here on out because, again, we're in the driver's seat of the Atlantic. We're going to have that big game against Florida State. Granted, Louisville is going to have that big game against Houston. But, you know, we got Florida State. We'll have the ACC championship game. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Deshaun Watson is going to put, us, put up some big numbers too. Yeah, absolutely. I think generally that award favors winners, favors those that are in the biggest stage. Where, you know, Deshaun's going to have an extra game to put up stats, potentially over Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, I, I think at this point it's probably Lamar Jackson's to lose. 
he's going to have to have some type of drop-off as we saw with Leonard Fournette a year ago. And again, outside of Houston, his competition is not very stiff. Yeah, I don't see them playing an elite defense the rest of the way. So uh, we will see. But um, any other reactions to, to Lamar Jackson? I, I read a kind of annoying quote. I don't know under what context he said these, these words, but ultimately he talked about not seeing Clemson's defense as anything special compared to the other teams that they've faced this year. I think that's patently false. Um, when you look at the yards per play, the turnovers, uh, how frustrated he looked at moments, just how, how stifling our defense was, um, was incredible. You want to talk about the number of tackles for loss um, from this defense and just look at the scoreboard. Their average points scored you know, almost half as many points as, as their season average. Yeah, I mean, 10 tackles for loss, five sacks on the game. I mean, those numbers are telling. You know, had nine quarterback hurries. So, yeah, Lamar Jackson can say that. That's fine. It's like when Baker Mayfield spout out about Clemson after yeah. he lost it. Uh, exactly what to I us, thought. To, to last year. Yeah. So, whatever. Heat in the Sour moment. Grapes, right? Yeah, well, heat in the moment. And listen, the kid's a competitor. And he wanted to win that game just as much as anybody out there. And he played a hell of a football game. But, you know, to correct him on his observation, yes, Lamar Jackson, Clemson is the best defense you played all year. And they will be the best defense you play all year, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, sticking with the defense, I mean, if you're a Louisiana State, a Texas, or a Southern Cal, why are you not backing up the Brinks truck to come and hire Brent Venables? I, I, always, I always wonder that. I ask myself, does Brent Venables want to be a head coach? Is he just, ha- I mean, he almost seems like he'd be happier just being in charge of a defense for the rest of his life. I can't see him giving that up, and... and he puts so much focus and attention on that, and it seems to bring him so much joy. Just watching him over there on the sidelines, as, as animated as he is. I'm just uh, saying, if you're one of those schools, why don't you? you? Oh, oh, I think they're going to come after him in the offseason. I mean, LSU, we'll see what Oklahoma does with Bob Stoops if uh, Oklahoma yeah. loses like, some other games this year. USC, Clay Heldon, I know he's in his first year, but they're talking about him maybe being shown the door. So a lot of job openings. Yeah. Um, you know, possibly yeah. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, Charlie Strong at Texas could be out. So, yeah, there's a lot of attractive jobs. I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't know that he wants the added um, pressure, stress. You know, shifted shifting of focus to a different different part. And you know, for everything we read, and I don't know how much of this is coach speak or what have you, or you know, spin coming out of um, the Upstate, but he seems to really love it at Clemson in Dabo Sweeney's. You know, regime and atmosphere and administration, if you will. Um, I believe his his kid's going to be going to Clemson. Well, assuming so, he's still there, I imagine he'd follow him anywhere he went. But right. yeah, no, I, like game ball goes to Brent Vittables. Like to be <laughs> honest with you, what he's been able to do against Georgia Tech the past few years and just turning over so many players, so many players drafted into the NFL and highly into the NFL, and then coming back every year now the last couple seasons, coming into it, it's like, oh, you lost so many people. The defense isn't going to be that good. And all of a sudden it's like, what? What has happened? How are they so good? So just stocking and reloading and and being coached up, man. He goes and gets his guys too. I mean, so much of the talent is you can attribute to him identifying them, you know, courting them through the recruiting process, closing them bringing them on campus and developing them. You've got true freshman starters the past couple years having a huge impact. And I think that's got to be just on the, not only the culture of the defense, but you know, the regimen that 
Venables and his staff of coaches put them through. And it's it's not just with Venables. I think it's the whole coaching staff. There is a cohesiveness in that staff. There's not a lot of people leaving. Dabo has created a culture here at Clemson that people just love being at. The family atmosphere, it, it goes a long way for a lot of people. And when you, you're bought into something like that and everything's going well, why would you want to leave? So, But you know, going back to the defense, it's not just Finnables. This defensive line is out of this world amazing. They played lights out against Georgia Tech. You know, and It was kind of the same thing in the Louisville game. They didn't have to overcommit to stuffing the run up the middle just because of those huge defensive tackles. You know, and Carlos Watkins and Dexter Lawrence, Scott Pagano, Huggy Bear is getting in there and uh, and making a lot of plays. So yeah, you're th- getting contributions around you know across the board here. Um, Huggins had a great game, I thought, um, in spots, and it's gonna, it's really nice to be able to you know bring in more defensive line depth and get get help from him. Pagano was in there getting pressure, and I I love this kid, man. Like he's been in the program now for a while and just one person after the other passing him on the death chart and, and it's not because he isn't talented or isn't a great player it's just you know a guy like Dexter Lawrence is just so phenomenally good but you know Pagano's going to play in the NFL and he made a bunch of good plays in this game you know that's the tackles now let's talk about the defensive ends Christian Wilkins is just a monster out there on end you know at the end position I don't even know how they move him back when Austin Bryant comes back he's playing so well but maybe they do um yeah Clean Farrell had a had two sacks, I think. He was out there a lot. Saw Richard Yergin out there a lot, making some plays. So it starts up front with this defensive line. And well, I th- yeah, I agree with you. And um, I mean, I feel like the game plan from the start was let's not allow Lamar Jackson to beat us with his legs and contain him either in the pocket, you know, force him to be a passer, or in the zone reads, you know, make him feel the pain if he's not handing off. And it just seemed like, and you you know, you've heard some chatter about some Ben Bulware um, extracurricular activity. But ultimately, I mean, we wanted to make him feel the pain. And it seems like, you know, at least in the first quarter or the first, you know, first two quarters, they were successful in so, that. So, all right, let's talk about this Ben Bulware thing. Did he go a little too far? Yeah, I think so. But it's football. I went back and watched it. It did not seem that egregious to me. You know what I loved about it? Ben Bulware sacked him on the next the play. The next play, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, in QT's recap, he talked about, that was Lamar Jackson playing hero ball a bit. Like he yeah. was like, well, you know, I'm going to keep this next ball and, you know, run it down your throat. Not so. And, um, you know, if he had handed it off, I think Radcliffe had a pretty much open lane to the, for a touchdown. So, um, yeah, I mean, physicality seemed to work in Clemson's favor. Um, unfortunately, I think with some stalled offensive drives, that also ultimately led to the defense getting gassed. Um, Louisville ran 99 plays. I mean, you, everyone saw how. Um, dynamic their offense looked in the second half that was going to happen um, I think you know with the tempo of our offense both scoring quickly but also turning the ball over quite a bit and also having some three and outs you know we were going to the defense was going to be right back out there and um, we, we had some depth it was nice to see some rotational players coming in you mentioned some of them but at the same time I mean you know I don't know what what number of snaps Bullware played um, well, I think he probably played the whole damn game, right. but uh, I mean, because he doesn't get a lot of plays off. Um, but yeah, again, the defense playing fantastic, especially in that first quarter. Louisville got on him a little bit uh, there in the second quarter, but they pulled it back together. And going into that third quarter, Clemson's up twenty-eight to ten. The offense gets the ball back. You know, they really had a shot 
to go down and drive the dagger in and go yeah. th- go up 35 Maybe to 10. Maybe not put the game away as much, but just really get yeah. in their head and, and change the complexion of yeah. the play calling and everything. And that, that pick was killer. No, that pick off of Ray Ray. So you could have gone down and gone up 35 to 10. You know, they get the pick off of Ray Ray. And then after Louisville scores, we go three and out again on that second drive of the second half when they can't convert on the third and one play. You know, Leggett had a big fumble not long after that. And then down 29-28 to Sean Watson with the interception. And all this is, like, going on in the third quarter. The defense is just constantly out there on the field. So there, there is just – you can't blame the defense. They played a hell of a game. And for them to come up with that big stop at the end, Marcus Edmond getting uh, – I think it was quick out of bounds. You know, again, yeah. they, they – Quick bit. got himself out of bounds. I mean, I want to give Marcus Edmond a lot of credit for position and, you know, his movement to, to push him outside. But I think that was just a, a lack of – Awareness, awareness yeah. and understanding and maybe you know i've i read some um path 40 writes for yahoo he's a louisville guy um talked about maybe questioning his manhood a little bit not cutting in and going for the well touchdown. you don't go out of bounds there's no use in going out of bounds to stop the clock you get a first down that stops the clock so yeah, yeah. who knows what he was thinking uh but you you don't go out of bounds that was as much on him as it is and kudos to marcus edmund for having yeah. wherewithal to get him uh, knocked out of bounds with one yard left to gain. So, you know, that was – my head was, like, on the bar, barely looking at the play at that point in time. <laughs> I, my, there were so many butterflies in my stomach because the first time, you know, national championship game aside, it was the first time in a while I really fear we could lose the game. Yeah, I had a, a few moments like that in the stands myself. Um, then, you know, right away a, a Clemson player would make a play to have something happen and reverse that. Artavis Scott's, you know, run back, you know, being one of those moments, but um, you know there were a couple of busts by I, I won't maybe I won't use as harsh a word as busts, but there were a couple plays by the def, by the defense that um, allowed Louisville to get big gains. Um, Jackson, as he does, broke contain a couple of times, but we we basically broke their streak of having plays um, go forty yards or more in this game. I think they had eleven coming into the game. They had zero. Um, although Jackson did have a 38-yard run well, at it, one point. Well, it, it's, it's been a theme of this defense all year, whereas last year, even with those two talented guys in the, in, uh, at the safety position, we gave up so many big plays last year, and it just hasn't been doing that this year. The secondary has done a really good job of not letting it guys get behind them. The linebackers have played really well this year. I mean, when you talk about Ben Bulware, Kendall Joseph was all over the place in this game. He played fantastic, and that's – you know, with the absence of Jalen Williams, which I thought was going to really hurt leading into this game because he's the only guy that can play all three linebacker positions. So even with him out, you know, again, I thought the linebackers played really well. Dorian O'Daniel was in there a few times. But really, Kendall Joseph stood out to me in the same thing with Ben Bowler. Ben Bowler is a monster. He's all over the place. He he is quietly working his way up into a probably a, t- a, a third or fourth round draft pick when all said and done at the end of the season. Um, I mean, coming into this, I, I felt that our defense had almost zero margin for error. Um, and really the team did too. Just Jackson's the type of player and Petrino's the type of play caller that they'll find your weakness and they'll exploit it. And, you know, you just cannot give them an inch. And unfortunately in this game, we did have mistakes, but I feel like we bought ourselves, you know, what I'll call kind of house money by forcing them into mistakes. Um, there were a couple of fumbles. I think they turned it over two series in a row. Um, at one point there. Well, there was three turnovers in a row. It was, what, the, they back, had the, yeah. the interception, fumble, fumble, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So that was a crazy uh, series of events. But yeah, I mean, there was plays like, both, like that on both sides of the ball for both teams. So it was not a perfectly played game by any stretch of the imagination, but there was two really good teams playing a really fantastic football game out there. And it was... Uh, I mean, I think for neutral college football fans, this had to have felt like an instant classic. Yeah, Let absolutely. alone for us. And I'm sure the Louisville fan base won't be tuning into this one and for Cle- quite some time. And Clemson but. is putting on some sh- shows for... Uh, uh, for the college football world with the game against Alabama last year and, and against Louisville. This is the, the cool thing is this has become the norm. Like Clemson in these high-profile situations. You pencil in two, three of these a year. And, and going in and winning the impact, them. Exactly. And what impact is this having on, I'm not talking about 2017, 2018 recruits. I'm talking about kids who, this, Clemson is becoming their dream school. That you hear yeah, about. Yeah, early on. Yeah, they know about them now. You know, kids all over the Southeast, uh, even up, you know, we're picking kids out of the Northeast now. But um, yeah. Kids watch TV too. Yeah. This, uh, this, uh, the exposure that Clemson is getting is unmatched. Uh, and it all starts with the play on the field and then the coaching staff behind them. So, again, I. I remember a time not too long ago where we'd go into a game like this and I'd be so nervous. There'd be no way in heck I thought we'd win the game. And every once in a while, we'd, we'd pull out one. And now we're just, every time going out there, we may not play our best football, but we come out with a victory. And it's, it's really refreshing to see. This is a very, very fun time uh, to, to be a Clemson football fan. For sure. Um, any other thoughts on, I mean... Always when I when we do these recaps, I try to take lessons away and you know potential areas that uh, if if this team's going to compete for a championship, the ultimate goal, um, and win a national championship, you know you got to look for areas that could prevent you from getting there. And I think we've talked about a couple of those, but a lot of them are things like you know overthrows or drops or untimely turnovers. There's a lot of randomness to some of that. Well, we need to clean that stuff, and a lot of those are mental errors. I think one part of this game that was refreshing for me to see is I think the offensive line really gelled. Uh, The running game was a force. Gallman was getting long runs. I don't believe they gave up a sack all game long to Deshaun Watson. So, um, yeah, I really think the offensive line took a step forward in this one, and I think it's going to be a big test against Boston College. We're going to see how they do because if we can establish a run game uh, on Friday, that bodes well for this line because as bad of a team as Boston College is, their defense is really good again. If you recall, though, one year ago, they came to Death Valley with the number one defense in the country, and we had our way with their defense. So I'm not suggesting that's going to happen this Friday. Uh, another short week, emotional letdown territory, um, you know, potentially some fatigue factor coming off this you know, grudge match of a game against Louisville. So Boston and College, I mean... Friday in Boston, Friday, I mean, what the like, hell is that? Crazy. Thanks, Swaffy. <laughs> uh, Two short weeks, you know, in three games. Kind of annoying the way they've stacked the schedule up, um, I'll say. But maybe the last comment about the game, um, we haven't really talked about this. We're not making excuses anything like that. But I feel like this is two weeks in a row now where officiating has just been pretty abysmal in, in the ACC. And there's... There seems to be, at least in the pro leagues, some accountability to referee play, and it seems like there's there's not too much. I, you know, I, I think there it's a very difficult job. 
Um, but there, there were some very blatant calls that were missed. On both sides of the ball. I mean, it went both ways in this game. You know, I saw a few, at least two, uh, what could have been pass interference calls on Cordrea Tankersley that did not get called. Yeah, likewise, one I in the end zone. Yeah, likewise, I saw some on the other side of the ball against Clemson wide receivers. So, yeah, no, I'm not it was, saying it singled us out or anything like that. No, no, and right. I and I think it was again. I think it was for both teams. I thought they were poor for both teams. So, um, yeah, I just you know Dabo, you saw him get pretty angry at them a couple times. So, I don't know. Uh, there's not really much we can say about the refereeing when it gets to the point where you kind of wish Ron Cherry was in there. You know something's <laughs> wrong. At least for the entertainment. I'm not there yet. If, well, at least for the entertainment value. Okay. If, if it's going to be officiated poorly. <laughs> At least give me, you know, at least get me a giving them the business line out of it, right? Yeah. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> um, well, good stuff. Well, as you mentioned, we got a game Friday night. Let's get right back into it. Um, Boston College, you know, they're 0 2 in the ACC. They lost that first one in Dublin to Georgia Tech. I think under freak circumstances, I was in France, so I didn't watch it. But um, you know, it was B- even your time zone, man. B- it was. You're right. Um, BC hasn't really put together an offense this season and I'm not sure that we're going to see that this Friday. Uh, we might see a lot of, you know, brace yourselves, Clemson fans, probably going to see a lot of uh, rotation players coming in. Um, some of the, the core starters sitting, hopefully we can establish a lead where that becomes more of a possibility in the second half. Um, it isn't just, you know, us playing a, a tight game, but I think for us to be favored by 17 might be a little bit too high against the number three ranked defense in the country. Yeah, I mean, their offense might be a little bit better than it was last year, but I, this is a game where we need to go out and take control of it early on. I think we may start trying to control it on the ground, but I think we're going to have to open up the passing game just because you know Boston College is a really good defense, but also just to pull away early. Pull away early, and I don't want to put it on cruise control, but I want to feel comfortable in the second quarter of this game and not let it linger on into the third and fourth quarter. I mean, Boston College is an inferior opponent. They've already lost this year 49 to nothing to Virginia Tech, and I would like to think we're a good bit better than Virginia Tech right now. So, yeah, I, let's see if this team comes out focused. It's, I know it's going to be hard to do after a, such a special night against Louisville, but it'll really speak a lot to this team's maturity and focus if they're able to come out and play a really solid four quarters of football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm glad to get a primetime game um, for us out here on the West Coast. That's good. And also, it is kind of nice. I mean, having just sat through that Georgia Tech game on a Thursday, you wake up on Saturday, hopefully after a W, and you can just relax the rest of the day. Maybe watch some games. We've got Fleet Week out here in San Francisco. The Blue Angels are coming. So... Um, should be a good time. Yeah, except for the fact that I'm going to feel like I'm in high school again, leaving work on a Friday night to go watch a football game, but <laughs> whatever. I'd rather it be on Saturday, but... At least it's not a home game. At least it's not a home game. Dabo would have none of that. Um, ben, taking a look back at this past weekend, there were definitely some crazy games happening across the country. Um, there were some other top ten matchups going on. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan played a classic Big Ten Low-scoring affair, uh, it was fourteen to seven. You know, felt like it was three to nothing for most of that game. Uh, but Michigan won on a crazy touchdown pass, um, and I think there was also an exceptional interception play in that game that happened too. But that's classic Big Ten football. Um, Wisconsin 
has a really stout defense, and I think we're going to see how good Ohio State is when they um, when they play Wisconsin in a couple of weeks. But what are your thoughts on Michigan? So I was kind of interested, actually, to see us jump Michigan in the polls. Michigan State put at number four, but, I mean, Wisconsin's a good football team. They beat LSU to start off the season at Lambeau Field. Um, you know, they beat Michigan State 30-6. to They did have a close one against Georgia State, but, you know... I still thought they were a pretty good football team. I mean, I'm not complaining, but interesting to see that the Michigan kind of stayed put. I think the fact that it was such an ugly game uh, went a long way to determining that. But, you know, Michigan, we're going to see next week what they're really made of, uh, or in a couple weeks, I guess, against Ohio State. Um, that's their next game. So, oh, um, I'm sorry, that's Wisconsin. That's, that's Wisconsin's. Yep. So we'll see what they're made of, and that'll give us a better idea of what Michigan's made of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michigan... It looks like they lost their starting left tackle for the year. That's probably going to be play a big role. I mean, you know, they're Michigan. Jim Harbaugh recruits really well, especially on the O line. So probably slot another corn fed big fella in there. But um, yeah, I mean, Michigan's definitely one of those teams we talked about in the season preview. There are two or three conferences out there that could be in the conversation to get two teams into the playoff. Michigan at this point could be one of those teams alongside Ohio State. Uh, we as Clemson fans, I think we need to be opening our gaze a little bit to look at other teams around the country to see who potential opponents could be. Um, and I'm circling Michigan as one of those teams to take a look at. Yeah, not to get too far ahead of ourselves because there's still a lot of time left in this season, but you're right. I think it is start, it's about time to take a look around and see what else is out there. You know, uh, We'll talk about this Washington-Stanford game. Washington goes out there and obliterates Stanford 44-6. to They are jumping up. Well, they were 10 at that point, so then they're ranked even higher into the top 10. But talking about the ACC getting two teams in, that's contingent of the uh, fact, one, that the Pac-12 doesn't get a team in, yep. and two, now the Big 12 would not have to get a team in if Houston goes ahead and wins out. So, again, you know, obviously if Houston wins out, Louisville probably doesn't give in, get in. That gives them two losses. But yep. still, a lot of different scenarios that are going on here. So, I mean, really – we kind of, as Clemson fans, do we want to see Louisville make it into the college football playoff again? I'm not I, sure I want to give them I, I another shot. I don't want to play them on a neutral site. So I guess, you know, uh, our buddy Chili tweeted, he's like, I don't, I don't want to play Louisville again. And, you know, Lamar Jackson's incredible, and that's the best compliment I can give. Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, I'm not saying go Houston. I think just naturally it's going to be pretty tough for two teams from the same division to get into this playoff, especially in a year where you've got so many teams that are going to be right there uh, that are conference winners, most likely. So who knows? Washington, you know, could fade down the stretch. They have, you mentioned, I think their uh, strength of schedule is... 127th out of 128 in the country, so a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, you know, they need to be undefeated, I think, to make it into the playoff with that type of... Absolutely, in the Pac-12. The Pac-12's, it's been down a little bit outside of Stanford for the past couple years. Um, Maybe, wrote, let's go west to east, in the Big, tw- in the Big 12, um, Texas, Oklahoma, TCU all have two losses. Baylor, I think, is there with... Did they lose? They're 5-0. and They're 5-0. and Jim Grobe, who knew? You know, playing with the scrap heap from Art Bryles, but... And West Virginia, I think, is undefeated as well. So um, I don't think anyone would add those two at the top of their midseason Big 12 standings. But um, we'll see. I mean, I don't know that either of those teams necessarily have the strongest strength of schedule either. 
And we all know what could happen in the Big 12. They could have a split co-champion, and we know the committee doesn't like that. So um, I expect the Pac-12 champion and the Big 12 champion all to have at least one loss, which may eliminate their conference, especially if there's a dominant one-loss Louisville there, maybe a dominant one-loss Michigan or Ohio State there. Who knows about Tennessee and Alabama, and who knows about Houston? So um, the, I think for those conferences, and possibly similarly for a Clemson, they may have to be undefeated to sniff the playoff. I mean, the Big 12, I think, has already played themselves out of it this year. We'll see what Baylor does. But I think they're, uh, the conference, the commissioner theirs, he's going to be on the hot seat because uh, the Big 12 has just been a dumpster fire for a while now. Yep. Um, and, you know, same thing with the Pac-12. I mean, it's, it's funny. The focus has really shifted. The ACC has come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, leading into the season was Clemson and Florida State, and then now it's Clemson and Louisville, not to mention the resurgence of the teams you have in the Coastal Division yeah. in Miami. Virginia Tech playing decent football. Pitt playing good. North Carolina so it's really now, as we've seen the SEC take a step down, the Big Ten has kind of maintained, you know, their level of play. Who's, you I know, think they stepped up a little bit, but um, getting a Michigan back into the yeah, picture that that makes a big difference. But right. the ACC, I think, more than anybody has yeah. has really stepped up. And so six ranked teams as of this week, three in the top ten that yep. matches the SEC in both of those categories. So we'll see what happens too. I mean, Miami, you mentioned they're currently ranked tenth. They play number 23 Florida State in Miami this coming weekend. That's going to be one I'm penciling into my Saturday. Um, I feel like Florida State, I mean, that is put up or shut up time for Jimbo and his team. Um, Let's talk about the end of that game, the UNC-Florida State game. I looked at my phone and saw that Florida State had gone up, what was it, 35-34 with like 23 seconds left in the game. And I'm like, there's no way. I thought there was no way they could win. Look down again, UNC kicked a 54-yard field goal to win the game. And that wasn't the most exciting finish of the day. Exactly, because about 20 minutes before that in real time, um, Georgia had gone up and sealed the game with their own incredible play. And then Tennessee, I don't know how they got out to the 50-yard line, but Hail Mary won it you know, in between the hedges in Georgia. Um, Incredible finish there. Just a really another great day in college football. This season has... It's delivered. It's, pa- it's packed a punch, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. Let's talk about, real quick, Florida State. How have they floundered so much? And it, it's, it hasn't been their offense, necessarily. Their defense isn't playing great defense. football. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I'm overdue to catch up on the Noel cast here. But um, I think, you know, you don't want to chalk it all up to injury. But they've definitely had some some depth issues, and really uh, injuries to some key players that are impossible to replace. Derwin James um, and a couple of guys on their O-line, sorry, on their D-line, but I don't know. I mean, they've also, I do want to talk a little bit about their strength of schedule, and they have played some of the most potent offenses in the country in North Carolina, Ole Miss, and Louisville. And they've yet to see us. Yet to see us, um, and you know, Florida doesn't necessarily have a dominant offense, but they're pretty talented. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of chatter on Twitter going around about is Florida State going to make a bowl game? Yes, they will. I expect, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be in Miami. Let's see. Miami looks pretty strong on offense as well. But um, if Florida State doesn't get healthy or if they don't find the depth, you know, they're going to be, I think they're going to, they're definitely going to make a bowl. Let's talk Tully, about that. I'm but, looking at this now. 
Would you have thought going into the season, five games in, Florida State would be tied for Boston College for last in the ACC Atlantic? Wish I knew what the Vegas odds were on that. But <laughs> You'd have taken that one, huh? <laughs> I don't think so because I was picking them to make the playoff. But um, so, much, so, so much for that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, our path has been cleared because of that, so not yeah, going to complain they, too they much. They picked up their second ACC loss. I mean, that is huge. I I do believe they're going to figure it out at some point and look like a, a quality team again. But well, hopefully not by the time they play us Yeah, in Tallahassee. We'll get some of our guys back. We'll see if they have Derwin James going. Dalvin Cook looks hurt still, so it's kind of a kind of a wreck down there in Tallahassee at the moment. You know, could not have happened at a better time for us um, after getting this Louisville win. But um, elsewhere, I guess coming up um, this weekend. Well, real quick, yeah. let's finish off this past weekend. You know, I always like to give a little jab at South Carolina. They lost twenty-four to thirteen to Texas A&M. I see. They've got two wins left on their schedule. I don't even know if they can beat Missouri. Missouri's terrible. Um, not getting much better. They played A&M tough, I guess. 24-13 is not a bad score. But I'm circling that game for the end of the year. And hopefully Clemson. I'm going to attend that game. I'm looking for Clemson to really light up the scoreboard in that one in Death Valley. Do you think that's going to be a noon game? Probably because South Carolina's so bad. Could be. Um Maybe that'll be good, though. People get home on time after the game. So this coming weekend, I mean, I guess other games we mentioned, Florida State-Miami is going to be interesting. Tennessee goes to A&M. That's a top-10 matchup. Should be strong there as well. I think on the Coastal side, this could be potentially a uh, Coastal Championship game. Virginia Tech heading into Chapel Hill to face Carolina. That's going to be a big one. Um, those are really the big games, and then... You know, Alabama heads to play at Arkansas as well. Um, that's starting a pretty big stretch there for the Crimson Tide. I think Alabama's going to have at least one loss in the next few weeks. Could come this weekend. Really? That's a bold prediction. I think it's going to be against A&M. Um, I think A&M has the playmakers and the talent to get it done. But Arkansas is always a shifty opponent for Nick Saban teams. Now, you'll notice, else if Alabama loses one game... They're still in the playoff, right? There's going to be no doubt in anybody's yeah. mind. Like, whoever wins the, the SEC, and it's probably going to be Alabama, they'll, they'll be in there. Whereas a one-loss Pac-12 team is n- no chance in hell. Yeah, I mean, but again, you know, this college football season continues to deliver. In the, here in the seventh week, you know, a pretty solid slate of games. And like I said, I think it's going to be good to get our game out of the way Friday so we can focus on this as fans. So a couple things before we get out of here. Let's update everybody on the podcast prediction challenge. I won uh, uh, going away. Picked up 20 <laughs> points this week with the win. Tully, you're behind me. You got 10. Cody didn't do so well, neither did the podcast. So overall for the season, I jumped back into the lead, 67 points. Tully's with 60. The podcast has 39, and Cody has 27. Looks like he's buying the bourbon shots. And you and, and, you and I are vying for the dinner. <laughs> Sounds good. Cody, start doing better. Um, and then also, congratulations to the men's uh, soccer team. Number five, Clemson, uh, beat number 11, Wake Forest. I think gave them their first ACC loss of the season. Beat them one to nothing. The men's soccer team continues to play well after you know that successful run to the national championship game last year. So really excited to, to see that for them. It's just awesome to have 
you know, not just one sport do well in Clemson, but to see how well soccer's doing. Baseball had a good run last year and some really exciting things coming up for the basketball team this year. So really, really great time for Clemson sports. Yeah, I just want to maybe take a moment to acknowledge, like, having been back two, two games in a row, one was a road game, one was a home game, you know, the magnitude of that win, the energy in the stadium, the tailgate leading up to it, you know, there it almost feels like as a fan base also i'm i'm sensing a little bit of kind of a culture shift or a mindset shift going on of an expectation of greatness and, and of winning and just you know a positive energy around the team and um, it was awesome to see that firsthand i mean I, i've been back for games about i go to about one a year and um you know i could really just tell like we all love our tigers right but i just felt like you know there's kind of a confidence coming coming together within this program that you know it was awesome to be a part of and um it's a great time to be a clemson tiger you hear that thrown around but it really is and i'm trying not to take it for granted trying to enjoy this because you never know stuff can end in a hurry well it's 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 really exciting to see the success in clemson football really spread itself around to the other sports uh d-rad not often do we say good job athletic director but there's something to be said for the fact that our sports teams are doing so well. Again, maybe that started with football and some of that rubbed off on the other programs, but listen, you know, Monty Lee in baseball, what a great hire that was. The soccer team's playing fantastic, and we'll see what the basketball team can do this year. But about baseball, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Amazing like, turnaround in, in Monty Lee's yeah. first season. So it's just cool. I mean, it's a year-round thing now for Clemson sports. We can talk about basketball and talk about baseball in the offseason to bide our time until the next football season comes around. And the next thing you know, out of the blue, the soccer team's playing for the national championship. So, no, it's cool. Congratulations to all the Clemson sports and all the Clemson athletes. Um, you know, we know how hard you work, not just at the sport you play, but also on the academic side of things. You not only excel on the field, but you excel off of it. Uh, year in and year out, the test scores or you know, just the, the GPAs of these teams are something that we should really be proud of, and it's something to brag about. Clemson's not just a sports school. We're good at sports, but we're also good in academics. It makes us all proud uh, to have gone there and graduated and be a fan. Yeah, totally, and you know, ran into a lot of Louisville fans as well. They were both before the game and after the game, and um, they're a great fan base as well, and it was cool to have them join the league. And you know, they bring a great academic or sorry, athletic tradition. Um, to say nothing for academics, you know, to the ACC and to the Atlantic and to the what I hope blossoms into a rivalry in football. Um, I think it's going to be going to be a good one for years to come. You know, if our coaches can stay put, but um, you know, they were pretty gracious in defeat as well. You know, wishing us good luck, telling us to win out and all that. So pretty cool to see that too. You know, I grew up thinking that all opposing fan bases were like South Carolina fans, and they were just all nasty and mean. Or Georgia fans. Or Georgia fans or Maryland fans. It turns out not to be the case. There's a lot of good fan bases out there. It's just not, it's not just the Clemson fan base. Uh, keep extending the hospitality, Clemson fans, because yeah. we hear it from opposing schools how well we treat them, and then we go there and we get the same treatment. So it's cool. You know, it's a game. Football is a game. It's just a sport. At the end of the day, you know, we're all people, so good to uh extend that uh show of compassion and friendship and welcoming them to clemson and then to be able to expect the same when we go onto the road to their place definitely uh, so for those headed up to boston i'm jealous have fun get some chowda and uh 
that's all we got. So go Tigers.